0: Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast. As I'm recording this, it's July 2019 and in Australia that means it's the start of a new financial year because we go from July to the end of June. So I hope you've had a really good year in the last 12 months and I can also say Happy New Year. Uh, For my part, I've recently published my book Disruption by Design, which is all about leading the change in a fast changing world. So I've been doing a lot of talking with clients in media, uh, with prospects about disruption innovation and change and uh, I know lots of people talk about disruption but it's a little bit like the weather lots of people talk about it but no one does anything about it and my way of thinking is that disruption and innovation are exactly the same thing It's just disruption when it happens to you its innovation when you do it so it's a a difference between being reactive and being proactive and today let's focus on how disruptable is your business. So I want to give you some ideas to assess how close you are to disruption not only for your industry as a whole but specifically for your business and of course I'll give you some practical things as well that you can do so that you can be better prepared for disruption. So I'm going to start by making a confession. I'm a cricket tragic. And I have been for the last 40 years or so. And as a lifelong cricket tragic, I've spent many summer days over those last four decades listening to ABC Radio live broadcasting the test matches in Australia. And there's nothing quite like it on a warm Saturday afternoon listening to a test match being broadcast on ABC Radio. Now, another thing that happens in our long, hot summers is that we have the danger of bushfires, and often the cricket broadcasts are interrupted by bushfire alerts, which are broadcast to the local communities who are at risk, and this is a, you know, it's a serious issue in Australia. So, of course, I don't mind that my cricket broadcast is being interrupted by these bushfire alerts because people's lives are at risk. And as I've listened to the alerts, i notice that they always follow a similar pattern. So when we know about a bushfire but it's far away, the residents are warned to leave the area and uh, there are many ways that they can get out. Uh, as it gets closer, the warnings are still there, but they're also advised about road closures because some areas are just inaccessible. and So there are fewer options for residents to take when they want to leave. And then when the bushfire is almost on them, the residents are told that it's too dangerous to leave and have to stay inside and be prepared to defend their home. Now I don't want to in any way diminish the danger and the force of bushfires and the devastation that they sometimes cause, but we can use this as an analogy for how many businesses deal with disruption as well, on a much smaller scale, because most of it doesn't really lead to loss of life of course, but think about it this way, some people take active measures early, others scramble to act as the disruption gets closer, and others wait until the disruption hits and hope they can defend themselves. Now you know disruption is coming, don't you? It's uh, coming for everybody. It's taken down massive companies. For example, Kodak was the fifth most valuable brand in the world in 1996. But a few years later, in 2012, it filed for bankruptcy. And it's not just with individual businesses. It's transformed entire industries. You can think of the The best known examples, Uber with taxis, Airbnb with accommodation, Amazon with retail, Apple with music. So it's only a matter of time before that disruption bushfire is heading for you. It's not about if, it's about when. Now the good news is there are some really practical proactive steps that you can take now to prepare for disruption in the future because disruption is something that happens to you. It's usually negative. It comes from nowhere. It shakes your foundations. It strikes with the force of a hurricane or a bushfire and it sweeps aside everything in its path. But think about it the other way around. Disruption is also about innovation and uh, it's about change. Innovation is something that you do. It's far more positive. It's about creativity. It's implementing good ideas. It's collaborating to make the world a better place. And that is the key difference between disruption and innovation. Disruption is when it happens to you. Innovation is when you do it yourself. And what many businesses and organizations haven't realized is that the world around them has changed. It's changed a lot. And the world has changed, but the key question is, have you? See, most organizations go through three phases, and I call it strive, survive, and thrive. So here's what happens. So first of all, when an organisation or business starts up, they start up because they see a problem. So the business owner, whoever founds a business, sees a problem and notices that many people have that problem. So they offer a solution to those people. They become known as customers or clients. And then they build an organisation full of people who have the skill to solve that problem. And they build the business to be able to solve that problem and they staff it with the right sort of people with those skills. So everybody works really hard, everyone strives to solve customer problems and the business does well and this is what happens with many businesses when they start with that initial growth curve where the business grows, everything is going well. Then what happens is that it's not necessarily that the business changes. Uh, Sometimes it does get a little bit sloppy or it gets a bit uh, full of procedures and there's a bit of office politics as well. But typically what happens is that the world has moved on. So the business might be doing exactly what it was doing, but... Customers now face an entirely new set of problems. And of course, they expect a completely different set of solutions because the world has changed around them. There may be other ways of solving their problems. And your organisation, your business, which was designed to solve a different kind of problem for a different kind of customer is no longer relevant. It's not that you've got dumber, it's just that customers have different needs now and you may not be meeting those needs and this is where businesses struggle to survive. They might still be getting by because there's some people who still got the same problems and so you can solve them but that's a, that's a diminishing group of customers. So now customers are looking for businesses and organisations who can solve their new set of problems and these are the organisations that are the most relevant now. Now, it doesn't matter whether they existed in the old world. In fact, in many cases, it's an advantage if they didn't because they aren't carrying all the extra baggage that comes along with solving the problems of the past. So now at this point, one of two things is going to happen to your business or your organisation. You're either going to adapt and thrive Or you're going to stay the same and nosedive. And the only way you can thrive is to understand that there are now new problems out there and new customers and new solutions for solving those problems for the customers. So in the past, when the world wasn't changing as quickly as this, you had time to adapt, adjust and involve your organisation to solve the new problems. Now you need to move much faster. And the key is to disrupt yourself or be disrupted. And for many industries and many businesses within those industries, they didn't move fast enough. So they didn't take the time to disrupt themselves, so they were disrupted. And typically, disruption comes from outside. So how disruptable is your business? Well, there's been some research done into businesses in Australia. Uh, one was from the World Economic Forum. They produced a report called The Readiness for Future of Production. And they found that Australia broadly is pretty well placed to succeed in the future digital economy because we're pretty good, we're pretty innovative, we're willing to do things ourselves, we're willing to take chances and take risks but calculated risks. But that's not enough. Accenture did some research recently and in their technology vision survey of Australian CEOs They reported that most CEOs, 90% of them, expected rapid or unprecedented technology change in the near future. And near future means uh, the next three to four years. But the devil's in the details, because even though there was 90% of CEOs who expected that massive change coming, only 18% of them expected that disruption to come from startup companies outside their industry so most of them were expecting the disruption to come from either existing competitors either inside or outside their industry or startups within their industries okay and that's the problem because their whole strategy is based on protecting themselves from things that they know from the known forces and that makes them vulnerable to being just side swiped by external disruptors And this is the biggest challenge that many businesses and industries face now. If you think that you can get away with BAU, business as usual, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble when disruption hits. See, competitive market forces businesses to constantly keep improving, and you've always done that. And you want to be better today than you were yesterday, and that's good as well. But if you only focus on your nearest competitors or the industry as a whole, it's not enough anymore. So disruption seems to come from out of the blue. It catches everybody in the industry by surprise. It's often the strongest, the most stable, the most well-established businesses who are the first to fall. So there's good news, and there's bad news. The bad news is that you can't really predict where the disruption is coming from. That's outside your control. But you can assess how disruptable your business is and then take steps to be less disruptable and that is in your control. So here are four clear signs that your business is vulnerable to disruption. Number one, you keep measuring the wrong things think about the old metrics for success in an organization market share profit revenue growth they're all internal measures you're either comparing with yourself or you're comparing with the rest of your industry and make no mistake they won't help you prepare for disruption uh, the businesses and industries that were disrupted they were measuring themselves by those criteria and yet they were still disrupted now it doesn't mean that you should stop measuring those things but don't measure only those things. Here are some other things that you should be measuring in and you could do this quarterly or you could do this annually. I recommend that you should do these numbers every quarter. How many new projects did you start? How many new projects did you fail? Because you've got to start and do risky things and sometimes they're going to fail. How many new ideas did your people generate? How many new ideas did you actually implement or start implementing? What percentage of time is actually spent solving customer problems? How much new technology did you adopt? How many assets and resources, things that used to work for you and that you think of as positives, did you throw away, did you get rid of? How many new customers outside your core target market did you acquire? And one last one, an internal one. How often do the younger, more junior people speak up at work? they're among senior people. Okay, so there's some of the other things that you might measure apart from the traditional things like market share, profit, and revenue growth. So that's the first sign that your business is vulnerable to disruption. You're measuring the wrong things. The second one is that you spend too much time protecting what you own. And I briefly mentioned this earlier, how many assets and resources did you throw away? See, in the past, your assets, the tangible and intangible things that you own, gave you strength and stability. They protected you from competitors, your current competitors, and even future competitors. But because the world has changed, those assets have now become liabilities. For example, having an efficient supply chain restricts you from trying new suppliers. Having a strong reputation means that you won't try things that risk a backlash. Owning premises ties you to physical locations. So instead of strengthening your position, these assets, if we can still call them that, now hold you back from better opportunities. And the thing is that the disruptors don't have those assets, but they also don't have the baggage that those assets bring with them. So they're much more objective about finding the best solutions, which makes you more vulnerable and more disruptible. Number three, Your last revolution was a long time ago. When was the last time you really had a revolution in your business or your organisation? See, most businesses evolve. Over time, they shift, they adapt and they grow. And, And we like evolution because it's logical, it's incremental, it's comfortable and it's safe. The trouble with evolution is that it's slow and cumbersome. And sometimes we need to turn our back on the past and start a revolution. This isn't easy. You're not only fighting your competitors, you're fighting yourself. But revolution is exactly what disruptors do. While you and the other incumbents are evolving to beat each other to the top of the industry ladder, the disruptors come out of nowhere and knock over the ladder. Uber, again, is the example that everyone talks about, but with good reason. It took on an industry that was tightly controlled, tightly protected, and it did stuff that was initially illegal. In some cases, it is still illegal, but it did something revolutionary and Mm -hmm. as a result of that it forced government and society to change laws so that it's now become legal and it's now transformed that entire transport industry so when was the last time you had a good revolution now the trouble with the revolution is that people usually get shot but sometimes that's exactly what you need not with people of course but with old ideas old products old services old brands old markets or old infrastructure Okay, and number four, the fourth sign that you're vulnerable to disruption is that you don't know your customers anymore. See, ultimately, your biggest protection against disruption is to focus on customers and to help improve their lives through your products and services. And most successful businesses start with that focus, as I said, in that strive phase of their growth, that's exactly what they do. They're really close to their customers and they solve customer problems. But over time, as the business grows and needs to support itself, other work, which seems essential, takes its place. So instead of spending most of your time serving customers, you spend more and more time serving other people. Who are those people? The local council, the Australian tax office, Other government agencies, your staff, unions, layers of management, suppliers, regulators, media, community groups. Now, I'm not saying these aren't important. They are important, but they should never come at the expense of customers. And disruptors act the way that you used to act, by understanding customer wants and needs and finding a way to meet them. So those are the four signs that your business is vulnerable to disruption. Let me go through them again. You keep measuring the wrong things. You spend too much time protecting what you own. Your last revolution was a long time ago and you don't know your customers anymore. Okay, so what can you do about this? Well, let me give you three questions that you can ask in your business and about your business to help you protect yourself from that coming disruption. And broadly, let me put them under the banner of this phrase, Think like a start-up. So what does that mean? Again, let me make that point that traditional business growth strategy builds on assets, strengths and resources that have served you well in the past. And as I said, those assets provide strength, stability and a competitive advantage, but now they've turned into liabilities. It's no longer the case of their assets. And the disruptors who don't have those assets, they don't have that baggage because they don't have a reputation to damage, they don't have sunk costs to recover, they don't have infrastructure to maintain, they don't have loyal customers to serve, and they don't have share shareholders to reward so they're free of that baggage and they can go around and what this is what they do they look around and say what's best practice to be able to solve these customers problems and we'll take that and we'll do it So they're like first home buyers who are looking for the best mortgage. They don't have to factor break costs into their decision. Whereas if you already have a mortgage, uh, there's a reluctance to shift because there's a cost to break that mortgage and, and choose somebody else. So if you want to avoid being disrupted, adopt that same attitude that the disruptors do. Forget what got you here and then think like a startup to take you there. So here are three key questions that I recommend you ask to build your strategy for the future. First one is this. If we didn't have this asset, what would we do differently? So, choose an asset. For example, your brand, your online presence, your customer database, your supply chain agreements, your staff, your organisational hierarchy, your premises or your systems and processes. And then, imagine that it vanished overnight. What would you put in its place? In other words, what would you do differently without it? Now, you might choose to recreate that asset exactly as is, but it's much more likely that you'll open up new possibilities instead. So, at a personal level, it's like that staff member who's in a job that they don't really like and they've always been thinking about doing something else, but they don't want to give up the stability of a regular paycheck. And then their their position becomes redundant and they lose their job and then suddenly opens up great new opportunities for them. That's the thing to ask yourself as well. If we didn't have this asset, whatever it is, what would we do differently? Here's a second question. If somebody bought this business, what's the first thing that they would change? Now, this is the question that the president of Intel, Andy Grove, asked in the late 1980s to break a deadlock that he was having with senior management. So Intel at the time was faced with a choice. They had built their business and their reputation on memory chips, you know, the things that stored data and information on computers, early computers, and now even now in phones and tablets and laptops. And the other option was to bet Intel's future on microprocessors, which were the things that, that did the calculations, that, that did the grunt work. And they started with memory chips, but there were a whole bunch of other competitors now, particularly from Japan, and they were doing it much more efficiently and effectively. And the leadership team were debating whether they should stick with both and run with both product lines or they should give up memory chips, um, even though it was a bit of a cash cow, and focus completely on microprocessors. And there were lots of arguments within the company at senior leadership level. And then Andy Grove broke the deadlock by asking his CEO, Gordon Moore, if the board sacked us all and brought in a new CEO, what would he do? And Moore said he would get us out of the memory chip market. And then Grove said, in that case, why don't we do it ourselves? See, by taking that external perspective, Grove realized that there was an obvious decision to be made, but nobody was willing to make it. And this is the question that shines a spotlight on that elephant in the room. Everyone knows that we need to make the decision, but nobody's willing to make it. And then the third question is the ultimate question for your business success. And I've touched on this already. What customer problem are we solving? And this is really the only question that matters because your business success is always about how well you solve your customers' problems. Too many businesses fall in love with their own products and services and systems and processes and solutions. And over time they get further and further from their customers until eventually they're finding a cure for which there's no known disease. Here's one simple exercise can be a bit frightening uh, that you can do. Look at all your team's activity in the past week and count how many hours in total you spent on work that solved real customer problems. Then ruthlessly work at eliminating all this other dead time. So, we've talked about how disruptible your business is, and I've given you three questions that you can ask yourself in your organization to help prepare for that disruption. So before I finish, let me tell you about a story that I often tell in my presentations, and it's about a heap of sand. So imagine a heap of sand sitting on the table or a desk in front of you. Now if I remove one grain of sand from this heap, is it still a heap of sand? Yep, obviously it is. What if I took another, and another, and another? Yes, and uh, depending on how big it is, I could remove thousands of grains of sand, and you could still look at that and say, yep, I reckon there's still a heap of sand. But if I kept going, eventually you just have a few grains of sand scattered on the table or the desk or the ground, and that's obviously no longer a heap of sand. But here's a question. When did it stop being a heap of sand? The thing is, there's no right answer to this question. Because we start with a heap of sand and end without one, there must have been a point when it changed. But there's no obvious way to identify exactly when that happened. And it's hard to imagine that just one grain of sand made the difference between heap and not heap. So it's a bit of a paradox which goes all the way back to ancient Greece and you can look it up on Wikipedia if you want to but the point I want to make is that this is relevant to us even today because it's exactly how disruption works in many businesses and many industries. It rarely happens overnight. It usually happens one grain of sand at a time and the signs are clear if you're observant enough to notice them and willing to act. I want to add one little twist to this. So I was making a presentation to a group of senior leaders from a number of different industries about disruption and I told this story about the heap of sand at the end of my presentation. And I said as I often do, don't ignore those individual grains of sand. It's easy to shrug off the one loyal customer who switches to an online competitor or the few customers who choose a competitor's product because they have an app or the team member who leaves to join a smaller organisation with a stronger sense of purpose or the startup company with a new business model that makes just a tiny dent in your market. And I said, don't ignore those individual grains of sand. Otherwise, you're going to wake up one day and discover that you no longer have a heap of sand. Sometimes it's inevitable that you're going to lose these grains of sand, but you've got to keep an eye on them. And then one guy piped up and said, I know how to protect the heap of sand, concrete it. <laughs> and we all had a good laugh about it, But and he makes an interesting point. And I want to make a point here as well. In the past, concreting your heap of sand would have worked. But it doesn't work anymore, see this is exactly what large, successful, established organizations used to do. They would concrete it they would they would build a moat around their business, and that 's the way that they could protect themselves from outside and as a result of that, they stayed strong as uh, size and strength and stability was an asset, but it 's just not anymore you You obviously can't prevent occasional grains of sand from slipping through your grasp, but don't be complacent and assume that they're just the exceptions. There might be early warning signs of major changes ahead. So be proactive, change, and take action. Jack Welch, the former CEO of General Electric, said it this way, if the rate of change on the outside exceeds the rate of change on the inside, then the end is near. So, Know how disruptable your business is and take active steps now to protect yourself from the coming changes. I hope you enjoyed that and found something that you can use in your personal and your professional life. Let's work together. I work with organizations and teams at all different levels. So I do conference speaking as a keynote speaker. I can talk about disruption, leadership, change and innovation, and being fit for the future. I also run workshops for your leadership teams and your team members and help you with strategic planning as well. I also have a new leadership coaching program, which is the Disruption by Design program, which is designed to help you and your teams be fit for the future by being ready for some of the changes that are coming to find out more about these services and also to get access to my other valuable resources like videos and blog and podcast and articles go to my website gihanperera.com g-i-h-a-n-p-e-r-e-r-a.com see you in the future for show notes past episodes and more visit gihanperera.com and remember great minds don't think alike